Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Purposeful Podcast. I'm your host, Mindy Mizell, and today I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, talking with someone who I've known for more than a decade now. I used to be a news reporter out here in this market and um, ended up becoming friends with a man named Jeremy Reynolds, who runs and leads uh, one of the, it is the largest homeless shelter in the entire state of New Mexico. Uh, And I wanted to swing by while I was in town to talk with him because I have just been so impressed over the years years with just the way the organization is run, um, the values of the organization, and, and you, you really set the stage for kind of the model of what it looks like to even run a homeless shelter. So Jeremy, before we get into kind of the nitty gritty of what you do here, you have such a fascinating background yourself. And I don't know that most people um, know your own story, but I'd love to start with that. I've seen you've mm-hmm. written books, you've got um, just a great um, biography out there. Uh, so let's, can you just give the audience a little bit about your own personal background? Absolutely, I mean, you would give them like a reader's digest, bite-sized chunk. Um, I came from England originally, as my accent may well give away and came to the U.S. in 1978 when I was 20 with 50 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket. I just felt like God wanted me to come over here from England. So what's fascinating, when you um, uh, arrive like at Miami International Airport, all the fine uh, people there say, what is your reason for coming to America? Because well, they want you not to stay here illegally. So I said, Mom, back then when I was young, much younger, I said, I want to preach. So the guy, the uh, ice officer, or whatever they called it back, back then, looks at me and goes, you're not going to make a lot of money at it, are you? And so uh, I came from Miami to Orlando, stayed with some English friends who, with an, in typical English style, told me the best thing about America was to boat back to England. <laughs> I don't agree. <laughs> and and um, I got married back then, and uh, about two or three years later, I ended up homeless. Because I had a feeling that God had called me to ministry, but I didn't know when he says, son, I want you to be in ministry. I just thought, drop everything right now, God's people will support me. Uh-uh. If God calls you to a particular issue or to a particular task, he's called you, but it might not be for a month, a year, or five years, so I ended up homeless in Titusville, Florida. Then started my running around the United States, looking for a place to happen, looking for a place to find me. I was still such a young kid. I was 21. But they say, you know, boys or young men are really like boys. Ladies and women are much more mature than boys. You know, that's any age, right? You can say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I ended up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Because I'd been homeless on the streets for one night. We couch surfed with various friends in Florida for some months prior to that. My ex was understandably getting very tired of that. That wasn't what she signed up for. I guess the scariest thing was, was being on the uh, highway between New Mexico and Texas. At that point, I'm thinking, what is New Mexico? I had no clue. And seeing all these cars sort of whiz by you and going, and then they shower you with water. And you know what, Mindy, the most disturbing or the most saddening thing for me then was this was back in the day when you can get like a hotel room for $13, $14, $15. That was the day, right? I had like $12 on me. And how discouraging to see if I just had like a dollar more. It wasn't happening. So I waited till a restaurant opposite me was closed. It had like a little gardening shack shed behind me. And in there was a fiberglass mat. Well, that night, Mindy, was the one and only night I spent sleeping my nights on fiberglass. I don't recommend it. Mm-hmm. So a few days later, I ended up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. 
found a uh, church that would help me, found a wonderful pastor who we still uh, keep in touch with, who had a ministry of getting young men into ministry. If you do it his way, he said, I'll help you. But listen to me. That was my first stage to turning around. But just a few months prior to that, my ex-wife and kids had joined me. And I, by this point, Mindy, I've been homeless and desperate for so long, my counselor for so long. Instead of saying, God, this is all about me, and, uh, you, and uh, I'll fund my ministry, I distinctly heard God saying to me, fine, you fund your ministry. When you turn it over to me, I'll fund that ministry. It'll be my ministry. In three months, Mindy, I, God accomplished me what I unsuccessfully tried to do in three years. It shows you the power of God, right? And then I found this uh, amazing minister, and I uh, was able to rent a uh, former bar, a legal bar, for two days a week to start up his place coffee house in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And then the owner, or the guy who did the main lease, he, uh, he quit. We prayed that he would quit. He was selling legal uh, liquor, you know, for so on. And um, I had a Christian coffee house there for, for uh, five days a week. Did that for four years. Got sort of tired, got two front teeth punched out by a drunk. Then I made the cardinal mistake. I said, God, I will do anything else but. Ever done that, Mindy? Uh, have you, you like have a long list. God, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that. <laughs> but, Not guess that. what? Ended up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I heard about this property called Dare New Life. It was a uh, Catholic charismatic uh, ministry for uh, drug addicts and it had gone under or gone out of business a few months before. I went to the guy that was uh, chairman of the board and told him what I wanted to do. By this time, God had put some brains back in me. And I was listening to him, and he said, um, sure, we'll give you a, a week's free rent for your wife and kids and five weeks free rent for the ministry building. With no 501c3, no tax exempt, no nothing, I just started out helping the homeless. And that was for, so for the first four months, for well, the last four months of 1986, I think our total budget was like uh, 4000 for everything. And get this, Mindy, I was uh, doing the Bible stuff. I was cooking. My wife, I think, by me is laughing. And uh, I did everything. Yeah. And then we started to have people call us. I also work part-time at uh, Channel 23 here in Albuquerque. That was to put some bread on my own table. I did that at night in the weekends, overnights, and then did this place in the day. And it grew and it grew and it grew beyond my wildest dreams. So God took this little guy from England and made this place from nothing into what it is now. I know we don't have the whole time to do this. So that's like a Reader's Digest version. But of course, it's all contained in my books, which we gave you two or four. Yeah, and I can't wait to read the book. And, and you know, I, I'm just so fascinated because in the 30 years that Joy Junction has now existed, it has grown, and I mean, I was last here probably a decade ago, if not longer, and I, I'm just increasingly more impressed by the explosion of growth, the support that you've got. Um, tell me about the services that are today offered. This is more than just a typical homeless shelter. Oh, it is indeed. We, um, the vision that God gave me was to take, was to have a place where the entire family could stay together. Typically missions, or many missions, like if you were to come here with your husband, you are not here, but to many other agencies around the U.S., you would sleep in one bed or one room, and he would sleep in, in another room with the guys. We don't become, usually, you don't become homeless overnight. So you would, need, you would need your husband's support, prayers, and help. He would need your support, prayers, and help. So in a time when you are feeling worst about yourself, he's definitely feeling worst about himself because he can't support you guys, then the agency is saying, okay, over there, over there, 
You're going, oh man, I feel, I feel terrible. So always keep the family together. One thing we don't do, there are some agencies that do take husbands and wives, um, but they typically ask for their marriage license. Well, how many of you, you know, we know where our marriage license is, we've only been married a couple of years. But, you know, could you and your husband lay eyes or lay hands on your marriage license if somebody asks you really quick? Maybe, but maybe not. So if you tell us, you know, you're, you know, you're married to your husband, you, um, we take you at your word. Mm -hmm. However, you can't come in with one guy one night and, and another guy the next. <laughs> then you're on to him. So if you pick out a guy you really don't like off the street, you're yeah. stuck with him. And so we have also, we have a, what we call a Christ in Power Life Recovery Program, which is based upon the wonderful Bible uh, published by Tyndale House, surprisingly called the Life Recovery Bible, where every concept or precept of recovery is tied to a verse from the Bible. We have a, a graduation ceremony for these folks after, after nine months, because you, you and me and all of us in here, we set our hearts and minds to do stuff, We've done stuff and we have achievements we can look back on. We just picture if at our respective ages, you could look back on nothing except failure. How would you feel? So we have, uh, we give them a special dinner. They have UNM, uh, University of New Mexico, red caps and gowns. And the uh, program consists of classes, volunteer activities, uh, how to write a resume, mm -hmm. people coming in like to dress for success. We even had a local weatherman call me from one of the local media affiliates a few weeks ago. So hey, he said, me and he said, I'm gonna email uh, to some of my colleagues, he said, we have a lot of suits because we're on the news, right? I said, okay. And he said, if I may, I'm going to email some of my colleagues and we will give you our suits. Well, not me, but a guest. So when they got searching for jobs, they'll have nice clothes wow. to wear. Wasn't that cool? That's so cool. And you even have um, a mobile feeding unit of some sort? Yeah, we have a mobile feeding unit we call the Lifeline of Hope. And it's really, really cool because here we feed about... Uh, uh, 10,000 meals plus each, each month on the mobile feeding unit which goes from east uh, east to west in Albuquerque or west to east we feed an additional 6,000 ish meals a month and so that really is to build a relationship with people there are no requirements for that we just want to make people uh, we want to make people we want to keep people alive so hopefully they will, they will begin to trust us and that then of course will build into a, a way you know a, a relationship where they can come to us, where they really want to get back on their feet, where they're ready to be, to begin the process of recovery. Again, that life recovery, uh, that life recovery Bible, maybe for some of our listeners, they may not know that. Basically, it's a uh, we call it like a Jesus-ized version of AA. Hmm. Because not having faith in that's not to bash AA at all. I think we do a wonderful program, mm -hmm. but as opposed to having faith in anything or whatever, we say you know your real key towards getting back on your feet again is to have the basic leg, the solid leg, you know, the leg of Jesus, mm -hmm. and start with him and then do anything else out, anything else. So just imagine, Mindy, 6,000 meals a month. And uh, when the BBC came, it was really funny because I'm a Brit originally, but I've lost some of my accent. Some of our listeners are going, you have. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. When the BBC came, it was, it was like the English equivalent of nightline, night side or nighttime. And, and they're going up and down the uh, motels in the slimy parts of Albuquerque where we were and they said this would never happen in England like okay but they're having a hard time with the homeless in England too and do you know what they call the homeless in England what rough sleepers hmm. sort of more accurate almost it's sort of cute almost hmm. so 6,000 meals a month plus on the lifeline we give out uh, hygiene items we give food we give bibles when we have them we uh, pray with people do whatever we can to help them trust us you know, many people today in Albuquerque, I'm sure all over the country, 
when they check into these, I call them like, uh, I call them like motels where you have maid service every other week whether you need to or not. Mm. And they do serve a purpose, I guess, of sorts. But, you know, when you check into a hotel, you expect some hygiene items, you expect toilet paper, yeah. you know, stuff, just sort of basic stuff. Folks like you and me don't even think about. Some of the cheaper rates for some of these motels, the room is all you get. If you want TP, you pay a buck or 75 cents. Mm. If you want hygiene items, you pay more. And so some of these folks are literally ch uh, faced every night with um, having to choose between a room and a place to stay or staying on the streets mm. or not having food. So we want to give them the food so they will at least have food and a safe place to stay. We give a hot meal. You know, three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Then we even what we call a sack lunch. They can set, they can stash for later. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You you've done such a great job, and I think part of the reason for your success is, is you really have that same story where you've come from a, a season of homelessness, and you're empathetic. You're able to relate, and you're able to identify with the the needs that are out there. Um, I know you've spent some time addressing some of the the myths and the and debunking some of the stereotypes around homelessness. Yeah. And I think, you know, it is very challenging for those who have never been homeless to kind of relate. So what are some of those common, you know, misconceptions? I think one of them that I've heard is the fact that, oh, if they want to not be homeless, they can stop at any moment. But, but that's not necessarily true, is it? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Just wanted to get to that one. Uh, absolutely not. Especially for the panhandlers. We have a profusion of panhandlers here in Albuquerque. And as you said, some people say, well, you know, if Mindy wanted to stop being homeless, she could. Wrong. You know, where the odds are stacked against you. Because sometimes even if, uh, people who would like to employ you, they look at the address and they see 4500 Second Street Southwest. That's a definite no against them. Oh, they're homeless. Or, and then when people judge our guests or judge the panhandlers and they say, Oh, if they really wanted to work, and then of course all the myths come out for the panhandling. Oh, I heard about this guy, heard from this guy, heard from his friend. You know, Mindy the panhandler, she made $800 yesterday. The anecdotal stuff. Folks, just think before you bash a homeless person. Firstly, all of us, you included, me included, all of the needy guests that we serve, we all have a story. And so oftentimes we take, we don't take the time to listen to the story. We're too busy flapping our jaws about our story, but we don't listen to people. So the, the, healthy guy or the guy you think is healthy physically on the streets who works two or three hours a day four hours a day panhandling he may have some deep emotional issues which preclude him or prohibit him from from being able to get a job he may be bipolar he may be schizophrenic he he just may not be able to function in normal mainstream community life but we don't take time to find out to find that out <coughs> then of course i've ha even had uh, folks say evangelical folks especially bad at saying this. Well, if you uh, feed a homeless person, you help a hungry person feed a, or help a hungry person, you're helping them perpetuate the cycle of hunger and homelessness. My answer to this guy, and there's even a book out there called Toxic Faith, which to me is horrible, un-Jesus-like, un-Christ-like. Okay, so, okay, so say you were the author, Mindy. I go, okay, Mindy, you think if I'm, if I'm feeding Jimmy, I'm helping him to stay in a hungry lifestyle, helping him to stay in a lazy lifestyle? What is your suggestion? I've posted this in countless blog articles, never gotten the answer. If I don't feed Mindy, she's wandering up San Mateo, Montgomery, and Albuquerque, or wherever you may happen to hear this. Okay, so I don't feed Mindy. What then? Is something going to magically click in her brain? Say, oh, Pete, I need to get a job. Nobody's ever said what we do with hungry people that we don't help. I think we have a, 
a, a community responsibility, a Jesus size and a Jesus eyes responsibility to share God's love to the homeless. Because that's what he did uh, as in the Lord when he was here on earth. So folks, don't judge the homeless. Uh, myself and my wife Elma, we take uh, fast food gift cards in the car as well as that for five bucks. And we, we give them to people we see standing on the streets and say, that's enough for a, uh, that's enough for a burger, a cup of a, uh, fries and a cup of coffee. One guy said to me, us the other day when we were out on the streets, he said that $5 gift card to him was worth a million bucks. We want to do whatever it takes to form relationships mm -hmm. to get people back on their feet. We encourage all of our listeners, you know, to do that too. I love that. And it's actually given me some ideas of how to handle situations such as that. I mean, I know the best thing to do is probably give to a shelter. But when you see someone on the street, you know, I've been debating what am I supposed to do. But I think that idea of giving out a gift card is, is such a great one because it does meet them where they're at and, um, you know, provides a relationship, you know, entry point for yes. some people. Um, I do want to talk about this idea of hope because part of what I have loved doing with the Purposeful Podcast is really digging into the reason why an organization or a brand exists. Mm. And you've touched on this, you know, even in this conversation about why you do what you do. But I know one of those um, values that you really emphasize here at Joy Junction is just that idea of hope. Why is that so important? Hope is so important, Mindy. As you know, there's a uh, verse in the Bible which says, without hope, the people perish. You have to have hope, vision, a dream. I, I had hope when, I, when uh, I began this place, but never had the sort of hope it would develop into the size it has now. That's God's blessing to me beyond measure. Mm -hmm. But you know, we, we are here literally to give people hope because people, when they come, folks, are at the end of their rope, there's no hope, there's a lot of rope. And we want to restore hope to them again. We want to show them that they're, that they're loved, they are cared for. In fact, the evening of um, this, as we're taping this now, uh, this evening we're doing a uh, memorial service uh, for a lady that died tragically. She just couldn't stay off. She, she went from being okay to having hope. But the pull of addiction it, it is so strong. She mixed a, uh, apparently this is what we've heard, she, she mixed some things she shouldn't have mixed. So she, at certain points in her life, she had no hope. Again, the question that I hear answered also a lot is when people have no hope they say oh my life is so bad they, they think mm, just a shot of tequila to kill you and they take a shot of this or uh, they have beer or whatever I have no problem at all with drinking the amount you should to keep sober and but then of course that first drink is a choice the second drink is a choice then but they do it to mask the internal pain they feel and then of course with uh, drugs of course we have a we have an opiate problem here in New Mexico, as many of the states do. Folks, it's not they want to become drug addicts. They're not some slimy characters or alcoholics. Their life is so hellacious, they, they, take, they make a few bad choices, and then they become an addict. And the pull is so hard. Once you, once you become an addict, you get pulled down and pushed down into, in, uh, basically into the total gutter. Yeah, And I've heard you in other interviews even emphasize our role isn't to judge, but to help. And I, I think that is such a great um, message, uh, especially mm -hmm. when we think about how do we want to increase hope. So for Joy Junction as a, as a model to the world, um, why is hope such an important thing, you know, for somebody who isn't homeless but needs hope? Why, what have you learned through the exercise of having worked here, having started this, um, having helped increase joy, uh, hope? What is, what is it about hope that's kind of so important to learn about? Well, hope keeps us going for the next day. 
um, fortunately, God has blessed us with more resources than we had 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And I had hoped that God would give us everything we needed for the next hour and for the next day, because without that hope, I couldn't have gone on. When I had some personal crises in my own life, it was the hope of the Lord. But now with the hope and help of my uh, wife, Elma, too, that keeps me going. If I had no hope, like if you get sick, you have hope you're going to recover. We have hope and a belief that people we help here are going to get back on their feet again. We have hope that uh, food's going to come. We hope our staff will stay with us. We, we live in a constant state of hope because we're dealing with people who are not the easiest, usually, client base to deal with. Mm -hmm. And our job is, is to be in contact with God, to get his hope transfused into our heart so we can impart some of the hope he has given us. I've been through some pretty rough times here. You know, when we, we went uh, back a few years ago, we, we literally didn't know from one week to another where we were going to get the money from the ne for the next week's payroll. It's a pretty tough space to be in. But we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and I screamed sometimes too. And I had to, I had to keep that burning hope or the hope burning within me mm -hmm. that the resources were going to come in because I believe God directly and divinely put me over here, you know, in the States uh, from England. And he, is, he has divinely orchestrated each path of my life. And that includes having hope. If I said, oh, yeah, God, you know, I want more than this, um, well, then you lose the hope. You really only have true hope, I believe. You can have a fleeting hope, a passing hope, if you don't know Jesus. Hmm. Hope you're going to have a meal in the morning. Hope you're going to wake up. But to have true rock-solid hope means you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I, I think this is such an interesting topic because you know, even for me or people who listen to the podcast, you know, we don't think about hope as such a vital kind of thing to make sure that we have throughout our day. What would you want me or listeners to know about why we should even have hope? I mean, we all have our own difficult struggles and journeys in life, but why should I have hope? Oh, that's a hard question. But, but you, well, you should have hope because firstly, firstly, you know, you're a child of God. That should give us the greatest hope ever. And I am too, and all of us in here are as well. Because God's gave us hope. We have the hope that he has given us a task to do on earth. We have the hope we will fulfill that task, you know, with success. And we have the hope that we can pass that hope. We have a lot of hope to pass on. We have the hope we can pass that hope on to people that don't have hope. Um, as, we, uh, uh, as we have passed out these food cards from our car around Albuquerque, I like to watch people's eyes and sometimes when panhandlers panhandle, their eyes will be, you can't see what I'm doing, folks, but their eyes are like this, they're looking down. After that gift card, they, they have some hope. And again, maybe some of you are saying out there, sorry, well, for him, he can, he can spend five bucks a gift card. You give out 20, that's 100 bucks. My budget doesn't run to that. No worry, folks, we have a hopeful answer for you. <laughs> I'm you, sure you do. Which, yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> what, do you know what you can do, Mindy? What doesn't cost any money Personal human contact is so important. I like some of the jail shows, prison shows they show on TV. Mm. And the worst thing the prisoners share is being in this, is being in the hole, isolation, because there's no human contact. Mm -hmm. So identify a, a homeless, needy person on your route to work, on your way back from work, on your coffee break. Try and make eye contact with them. Sometimes they may avert your eyes because they could be ashamed of what they're doing. If you feel really bold, Go ahead and get out and shake the hand or shake the hand through the window, of course, take, of course, be, of course, exercise care for whatever you do. Hmm. Human contact will give a dispirited, lethargic, maybe is the right word also, just a person that has no hope. 
that, that one free way, that, that one free thing of giving them human contact, eye contact, hand contact, face contact, that can literally change their day and can be the first measure or the first spoke in the wheel of hope that starts a transition of getting off the streets, back on the feet, meeting with Jesus and getting back into mainstream community life. I love that. And I do want to end on the fact that you have plans for Joy Junction oh, to even expand yeah. nationwide. I yes. mean, I've seen that. So what is your hope? My hope is that firstly, obviously, that we will continue the expansion we have begun here. We're in the middle of building a 52-acre uh, complex apartment units on our 52-acre property. Mm -hmm. Impressive. My hope, yes. But my hope would, would, would be that people would catch it would catch the vision that God has given us. That not necessarily we would expand even, but they would catch the vision. And they will be able to pass that vision that God has given me through their eyes, through their hope, through their heart, and establish a beacon of hope or a lifeline of hope in their own community all across the uh, all across the US and even around the world. Love that. Well, best wishes to you and thank you so much for joining on the podcast. Any uh, last uh, remarks that you want to make sure that the audience is left with? Of course, I'm a marketer too, so we couldn't be complete without going. Go for going. it. Yeah, we couldn't be complete. We want everybody to sign up for our, uh, we want everybody to sign up for Facebook, our LinkedIn pages, our Twitter pages. You can find out all the connection information by going to joyjunction.org. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for taking the time, especially to just kind of share your journey and the journey of Joy Junction. And for all those listening, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's purposefulpodcast.com.